0: Thank you, students, for leading us in worship this morning. My name is Annie Newfeld. I am the pastor of small groups here at Lake Avenue Church, and I get to share God's word with us this morning. Our Christmas hymn sung so beautifully by our students this morning is, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, sing in exultation. When was the last time you felt like that? exultant in your joy, triumphant. My five-year-old daughter just learned how to ride her bike, and the look on her face when she finally got it after all those Saturday mornings out practicing was just, just pure glee. Um, whenever we would walk down the street, she would tell perfect strangers about her newfound feat that she could ride her bike without training wheels. When was that the last time that you were that excited About something. Maybe it was when your team won the World Series or the NBA Finals. Maybe when your team beat UCLA last night. Sorry, Jeff. Uh, Maybe it was when you had that really great first date. When you first got to hold your grandchild. When you learned that the cancer was gone. Our scripture for this morning comes from Luke 1. It's Mary's song, the Magnificat, and it's this beautiful piece of poetry. When Mary finds herself wildly rejoicing, uninhibited in her joy, soon after learning that she would bear the Son of God, Mary bursts into song, praising God for all that he had done. But when I read her story, and when I look at her circumstances, it it doesn't seem very joyful. Uh, This is a young girl, perhaps as young as 13, who finds herself pregnant out of wedlock. And she was living in a time when her fiancé Joseph would have been well within his rights to have her stoned to death for getting pregnant without his help. She was a poor, vulnerable woman in a precarious situation, and yet she rejoiced. Our Advent series is called A Weary World rejoices and it's aptly named Christmas is a season of joy. Usually everything around us screams joy, our signage, our, our Christmas carols, our letters to one another, even our Starbucks cups all usually scream joy. But this year, joy comes to us in a, in a different package. It looks different. It's arrayed in weariness and, and grit and it's tired from desperately trying to hold on to the good. It looks different, and it may even feel unfamiliar in this season to talk about joy, but it's not gone. Mary was able to experience real joy, unadulterated joy, in the midst of a difficult world and an unknown future. And I think this year, of all the years, she has something to teach us about how to find joy in our difficult world and in our unknown future. Before we dive into the Magnificat, though, let's set the stage. Mary's words don't arise in a vacuum. They come to us right smack dab in the middle of a story, a story that we all know. Um, This is right after uh, the angel Gabriel has appeared to Mary in all of his glory and told her that she will bear a son, that he will be called Jesus, he will be called the Son of the Most High God. He would reign over the house of David forever. And Mary accepts this invitation to bear this child. She says, I am the Lord's servant. And at this point, Luke tells us that immediately Mary gets up and rushes over to see her cousin, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who had also just recently received news of a miraculous pregnancy from the mouth of an angel. So Mary, needing to share this exciting but also quite scary news of new life growing inside of her, she rushes to see her wiser, older cousin, Elizabeth, who's also pregnant. When Elizabeth sees Mary and hears her greeting Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit filled her and she proclaimed blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you were will bear but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Elizabeth's blessing is filled with uncontrollable embodied joy. She's about six months pregnant, which is when you can feel that baby really start to kick. And I imagine baby John's kicking and leaping inside of her would have stopped her in her tracks, demanding she attend to the spirit's joy within her. In this intimate moment between cousins who are sharing secrets of life, growing inside of them, the air is filled with joy. And it's at that point that Mary says these beautiful words in the Magnificat. By doing so, she joins a long line of women who responded to God in song. Women like Miriam and Hannah and Deborah. But Mary's song is special. It's unique. It has been sung and spoken and prayed throughout the history of the church. In this one poem, in these few short verses... Luke captures many of the themes that he will dive into throughout his gospel, themes of God's mercy, his power, his love for the poor, his faithfulness to Israel, all in this beautiful poetry that just erupts out of Mary in this intimate, beautiful moment between cousins. So let's read her song. We are in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 45, through 55, excuse me. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Mary's song begins with the exclamation, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And right away, we learn the first one of the reasons for Mary's joy. Mary rejoices in a mindful God. Mary rejoices because she feels seen by the God of the universe. God, her Savior, has noticed Mary. Mary, who lived at the margins in a small country town in Nazareth. Mary, whose patriarchal culture didn't consider her a full citizen, a full person, a full anything. Mary, who lived under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire as a marginalized Jew. And yet, her God sees her. He is mindful of her. He watches out for her in her humble state. Madeleine Langle wrote a beautiful poem that captures Mary's consciousness of her humble position. She writes, I know not all of that which I contain. I'm young, I'm small, I fear the pain. All is surprise, I am to be a mother. That holy thing within me and no other is heaven's king whose lovely love will reign. My pain, his gaining my eternal gain. My fragile body holds creation's light. Its smallness shelters God's unbounded might. The angel came and gave, did not explain. I know not all of that which I contain. Mary praises God because he sees her in her humble state. Her fragile body holds creation's light. In doing so, she reminds me of another woman who found herself pregnant and in a precarious situation who also felt seen by God, and that's Hagar. Do you remember her story? She comes to us in the book of Genesis. She was Abraham's slave who became pregnant with his child, and quite predictably, this caused some conflict in their home, especially with Abraham's wife, Sarah. And so Hagar ran away. And God found her in the wilderness, said he had heard of her misery, promised that she would have many descendants. And and at that moment, Hagar, a woman, a slave, gets to name God. She calls God the one who sees me. Church family, when we are lost, when we are overwhelmed by life's cruelty, when we are wandering in the wilderness, it is good to be seen. It is good to have someone else bear witness to the pain, to the ache, to the fact that we are still breathing with all that we carry. (laughs) Carol Kenyon is a lovely follower of Jesus. She was a pastor here for years and years. I'm sure many of you know her. She is now a chaplain at a hospital in the area where COVID is so prevalent and sickness and death are all around And she wrote this on Facebook the other day. Facebook is not just a death scroll of despair. There's some good things there. She was commenting on Psalm 23 where David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And Carol said after a hard day at the hospital, the valley is real and sudden and overwhelming. It's abrupt drop in temperature is sometimes unanticipated, and our breath is knocked out. And there he is, with us, Emmanuel. It turns out that Emmanuel is a lot more substantial than a sweet baby lying in a manger in Bethlehem. Emmanuel is gritty and sleeves rolled up for the hard stuff and ever, ever present, made more conspicuous in the valley of shadows. God sees us, church family, in this valley of shadows. He is mindful of us in our darkest moments. And this, declares Mary, brings hope-filled joy. These last several months have put unique stressors on all of us. We all sit under the the prickly blanket of COVID, but all of us have unique stressors on on top of that or underneath that. One of the stressors in my life the last few months has been some trouble with my vision. My eyes don't work very well together as a team. And so I have trouble focusing on things, which means that I get headaches and I'm in treatment and it's getting better, but um, it is one of those unique stressors. And as I was sharing this particular struggle with a friend lately, she said three things that were so simple. She said, I'm here if you need me. I didn't know you were carrying so much and cry all you want. And as simple as those three things were, they opened up within me this tender spot to recognize that God says the same thing to us. I see all that you carry right now. You didn't think you could have been able to do this. I'm here, and tears are welcome in this space. Mary rejoiced in a mindful God who met her just right where she was. Mary continues naming her joy in verse 49, praising the mighty God who has done great things for her. She says in verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Now, Mary was a good Jewish girl, which meant that these words would have been really familiar to her. In the Old Testament, this combination of words, God's mighty hand, his mighty arm, his mighty deeds, are used over and over again to talk about God's deliverance of his people Israel from slavery, from oppression. And so when Mary uses these words, she's calling to mind this whole history of God's faithfulness. And she continues, she says, He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Mary names specifically The ways in which God has manifested his power and his might by lifting the humble, by filling the hungry with good things. God shows his power by rescuing Israel from slavery, from oppression, from exile. He builds up the weak. He heals the brokenhearted and he brings down power hungry rulers. He brings down the proud. He sends the rich away empty. This is who God has always been. But Mary's song isn't just looking back at what God has done in the past. It's also looking forward to what God will do through Jesus. And in many ways we can read this song as a prophecy because Jesus also, this baby that she's carrying in her womb, would scatter the proud and lift up the lowly. Jesus would fill the hungry with good things And send the rich away empty. Jesus would say things like those who humble themselves will be exalted. And those who exalt themselves would be humbled. He said the first will be last and last will be first. Jesus would talk about this coming kingdom. Who would welcome the poor, the blind, the lost, the widow. He would empower fishermen and tax collectors. And he would send away rich men seeking easy answers. He would be the kind of king who was born in a manger, who lived on the run as a refugee, who rode on a donkey, and who died as a criminal. Mary's song is a foretaste of this upside-down kingdom that was inaugurated by Jesus. She points to a world made right, where the lowly are lifted, the proud are made small, where God is king. Mary rejoices because she is experiencing within her small frame That mighty hand and that outstretched arm of the God who created the heavens and earth, who parted the Red Sea, who set Israel free from slavery, and who one day will bring everything under his power and authority. Her memory of God's faithfulness to her people fuels her hope in a joy-filled future. As you can see, these words from Mary are not for the faint of heart, They won't be printed on a quaint Christmas mug. These are words that meet us in the deep, but they don't leave us there. They call us to go even deeper. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian in Germany. In the early 20th century, he was known for his staunch opposition to the Nazis, his vocal opposition, resistance to Hitler. He led churches in this season, writing words that we still read today before being executed by the Gestapo in 1945, he longed, like Mary does in this passage, for rulers to be brought down from their thrones. He said this of the Magnificat in one of his sermons in 1933. This song of Mary's is the oldest Advent hymn. It is the most passionate, most vehement, one might almost say most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. It's not the gentle, sweet, dreamy Mary that we often see portrayed in pictures, but the passionate, powerful, proud, enthusiastic Mary who speaks here. None of the sweet, sugary or childish tones we so often find in our Christmas hymns, but a hard, strong, uncompromising song. Mary's joy isn't naive or contrived. It's a radical, gritty joy, fist-raised, dirt-under-the-fingernails kind of joy. She is an unwed, pregnant teenage girl who has been asked to smuggle the Son of God into the world inside of her own body, as Reverend Taylor puts it. The road ahead will not be easy or calm or predictable, but, but God who lifts the lowly, fills the hungry with good things, and brings down the proud is making all things new. And so she rejoices. So Mary rejoices in a mindful God, in a mighty God, and finally she rejoices in a missional God. She rejoices in her role in God's mission. Mary isn't just this passive observer to what God is doing. She's an active participant. When that strange, glorious creature gave her that strange assignment, she said, yes. She said, I am the Lord's servant. And as as scary as it might have been, she knew that she was part of God's unfolding plan of salvation. And so she rejoiced. Church family, Mary's joy reminds me of the joy that so many of you have expressed over the years. When life is brutal, you find your way back to the good. You find a way to name the good things that God is doing, even right in the middle of the darkness I think of Tracy, a woman that I get the privilege of meeting with on a regular basis here at Lake that I've known for a long time. Tracy has been faithfully following Jesus for years and years, has raised two kids to know, love, and trust Jesus. She serves all over the place in this church, but she also suffers from a terribly painful autoimmune disease and has pretty constant pain. Uh, The doctors are baffled by her symptoms. They still can't totally figure out. What's going on, but the pain keeps coming. And she journeys on in joy into an unknown future every day. And she continues to be part of what God is doing in this world. She has recently accepted the call to go back to seminary at 47, 25 years after graduating college, because she knows that God is on the move and he is not done with her yet. And so despite the pain, Despite the cost, she wants to be part of what God is doing in this world, and she expresses great joy in that. I also think of Grace Huang. Do you remember the Huang family? We prayed for them throughout most of 2013. They were living in Qatar when their daughter Gloria passed away, but because Gloria was adopted and was of a different ethnicity, the authorities didn't consider Matt and Grace, her real parents. And so they accused and arrested them of human trafficking and murder. And they spent 10 months in prison. After a wrongful conviction and a lengthy appeals process, they finally did get to return home. And Grace tunes in to Lake Avenue Church. She's part of one of the small groups that I get to lead um, on Monday nights. Many of you guys know Grace. And I think you would agree with me that she is a woman of quiet joy. Grace doesn't scream anything from the rooftops, but joy finds a resounding and booming voice in grace. She has just this resilient and weathered joy that has been forged through trust in her heavenly father. Grace has recently started a blog, which we are going to drop into the comments. I definitely encourage you to check that out. When I read her words, she talks about what happened in Qatar. And when I read her words, I weep, and I wonder, and I am humbled by her God-given capacity to meander her way back to joy and hope. She writes, hope is a person who never lets you go, even when you'd rather give up. Jesus has not let go of grace. Columbia Marmion said, joy is the echo of God's life within us. Joy is the echo of God's life within us. I see God's life echoing and resounding and bouncing against the walls in Grace and in Tracy and in Mary. They are weary, they are weathered, and they are full of joy, all in the same bundle of humanity. So how do we get there in 2020? Well, first, I think we have to talk about what joy is and what joy is not. Uh, Joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Frederick Buechner said, happiness turns up more or less where you'd expect it to. A good marriage, a rewarding job, a pleasant vacation. Joy, on the other hand, is as notoriously unpredictable as the one who bequeaths it. God is the one who grows joy in us. Mary's filled with joy, not because she willed herself into it, but because she was filled with the Holy Spirit. That same thing happened with Elizabeth. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and erupted in joy. Galatians five tells us that joy is a fruit of the spirit that as we walk in step with the spirit, we grow things like joy and peace. Joy is a gift from God. It can be, cannot be manufactured or programmed into our day. It is as notoriously unpredictable as the one who bequeaths it. And yet, joy is a practice. It's not a feeling that comes and goes. It's something that we do. Philippians tells us over and over and over again to rejoice in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us to rejoice always. These are things we do, disciplines we practice, muscles that we exercise. Joy is a work of the spirit that is done in us as we rejoice. As we make a joyful noise, joy is made in us. Which basically means we show up, right? We show up vulnerable and real before the the God of the universe. We show up after the breakup. After the diagnosis, we show up right in the middle of the miscarriage, when the rent is due and we don't have it. We show up on that Zoom screen again after reading the news, and we may not feel joyful. We certainly might not feel triumphant, but we show up. We do that spiritual practice. And over time, it doesn't happen immediately by any means. But over time, as we spend time in in intimacy with our Lord, God helps us to remember the good. Mary remembered and recounted all the good things that God had done. She named God's faithfulness and she rejoiced. So how do we experience joy this Christmas? Three quick applications that really align exactly with Mary's song. First, just like Mary, we rejoice in a mindful God. We find great joy when we lift our heads, we take a breath, and we see that Emmanuel really is right there with us, sleeves rolled up for the hard stuff. Church family, what practices help you to notice the nearness of God? I know for me, over these last couple of months, I get to be a part of several small groups where I get to hear stories of God's faithfulness. I get to walk beside people who have just this well of stories of how God has shown up for them in the stroke, when they lost a spouse, when they lost a job. They can see how God was near. And that helps me to notice when God is near in my life, when things aren't going the way I want. What helps you to notice God? What helps you to to be mindful of the God who is mindful to you? When we exercise these muscles, I think joy grows in us. So we rejoice in a mindful God like Mary, and we rejoice in a mighty God, just like Mary. Uh, we praise God for his power, power that's made manifest in lifting the, the humble, in punishing the oppressor, in turning the world upside down. And, and this place, church family, I think there's something convicting here for us in Mary's song. Because I think there's, there's some alignment that needs to take place for us to be able to pray this song honestly. It seems like for for many of us and certainly in, in our culture around us, it's all about getting to the up to that next rung of the ladder, about getting more and more, buying that next house, getting our kids into that great school, getting that great job. And even though the pandemic has humbled us a bit, I think that's still part of this culture that we live in. We want to get up to that next rung of the ladder, whatever it is. But Mary rejoices that God is turning that ladder upside down. Those who are at the top or close to the top or who were on their way up to the top are now at the bottom. And I think this passage pokes at us a bit and asks, would that really bring you joy? Does that sound like good news? If we've spent all of our energy and all of our lives in reckless pursuit of that next big move. Will we really be able to rejoice when it gets turned upside down? I think if many of us, and I put myself in this, when I I try, when I have prayed this prayer, I find it stretching me, and those words don't roll off the tongue. So I think for many of us, joy may come through the spiritual discipline of praying Mary's prayer. Let this teenage girl disciple us. Let's be shaped by her world. Because I think if we can see the world as she sees the world, joy awaits. And finally, just like Mary, we rejoice in a missional God. Mary was asked to bring the mystery of God into her everyday life. And we too are asked to bring the mystery of God, to carry the mystery of God into the world around us. In what ways is God inviting you to be part of his mission? How is he inviting us to be on the side of the vulnerable the marginalized, the poor? How does he want us to be part of lifting the lowly and filling the hungry with good things, good things like water in the Turkana Valley? Mary says yes, and she is filled with joy. What kind of disruptive discipleship is Jesus inviting us into this Christmas? As we close, I want to leave you with a picture. I know many of us just want to be done with 2020. But I think there is something still here for us, even in these last two weeks. My friend Virginia is a chaplain turned artist, and she captures beauty in nature, and she recently found this gem. She was on a walk, and she saw this little leaf popping out of the ground and growing directly in and through a vacant snail shell. She sent this photo with the quote, new life sneaking its way through the cracks of death right where the light gets in. Brothers and sisters, this is what joy does. It sneaks its way through the cracks of death, right where the light of God gets in. And so we get to light our Advent candle, our third Advent candle for joy. I think we do. There we go. We light our third Advent candle for joy because even in the deepest darkness, even through the cracks of death, a light has dawned. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Emmanuel. We praise you for this good news that God has come. And God, in this hard year, we pray that you would restore to us the joy of salvation, that we would be able to honestly say that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You are with us, God, sleeves rolled up for the hard stuff. We pray you'd open our eyes to see you, that you'd give us spiritual vision when all we see is the dark things. Give us courage to join you in the work of lifting the lowly and filling the hungry with good things. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.